to you by the Talkbuster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talkbuster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... Your shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going? Um, I don't even know, man. It's yeah. going. How's it going with you? I got a three-inch gash on my hand that hurts like hell. Oh, I saw that picture of that. That looked unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it looked a lot worse when I first bandaged it, but no, it's small bandages now. still hurts like hell. Don't play with knives, kid. <laughs> Uh, one positive thing to say, I'm kind of excited to start painting my, my models soon. I, there's one shop apparently in my town where I can maybe get sable brushes because I've been doing like research and stuff. So I'm going to go out to there on like Saturday and get some brushes, get a palette, get some painting going. Ah, I'm going to get the nice stuff. All right, well, let's dive into this week's episode. But before we dive in, we're going to thank the people that are, you know, giving us money. Because they like listening to what we have to say. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. And they are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chippen, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, and John Vinnels. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. For only 25 cents an episode, you help us produce content. We give you all sorts of great bonus content. You know, at this point, actually, I think it's more uh, more content per cost than 25 cents an episode with how many like book clubs and stuff we're outputting so you know <laughs> yeah but, i mean come on you're trapped inside what else are you gonna spend it on anyway so back to the episode we have a guest today uh to introduce yourself hello i am clee wiggins nice to be here we've had clee on before i actually what was our yeah. topic i don't remember uh our rated <laughs> childhood I, oh that's right i do oh okay, yeah, I yeah. That totally I only remember because you loved Die Hard because you knew Danny Glover growing growing up. Yeah, my mom went to high school with, with him. Yeah, my my mom and all her sisters went to high school with him and all his brothers, and they were all matched up in the in years. So the Glover brothers and the Henderson sisters were like the big families in their high school. Oh yeah, I do. I remember that story. Yeah. So so today we're here to talk about uh, one of our favorite recurring things we brought Cleon for, which is called Gone But Not Forgotten. If you're just tuning into this one, uh, the idea is basically, originally it was we talk about something that we felt was, you know, it, well in the past that people don't talk about anymore. We, we've kind of refined it more just to be about anything that we feel like does not get the attention that we say it deserves, essentially. Something that is, you know, not as well known as it should be. And this is an excuse to just talk about it. It's kind of an excuse for each person to just talk about something they really like, essentially. Does that, that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I think my, my choices sort of fit that in a way. All right. Well, just to just to set the stage, uh, I'm going to... Well, actually, no. Let's just stick with the, the historical thing, which is we give the guest first crack. So you want to give us one? All right. So my first, now I picked three things, but I'll start with the first one because I think it's the most obscure. Um, and But just to uh, clarify, all three of my choices basically deal with detective shows from the 70s and 80s. 
Mm, which I think okay. is a genre, like private detective shows, which I think is a genre that really, like we have a lot of cop shows. There's not a lot of PI shows anymore. Yeah, that's going to make so, a comeback. <laughs> we got a handful with things, well, not anymore. Which I think, I, I, think I think it's right for a comeback. Given, oh, yeah, they're going to retool all of them now. It's like, hey, yeah. you're all private eyes. Yeah. Why is Columbo the only one I can think of? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is a show, it was only on for three mm. years, and it's a show called Matt Houston. And it was on from 19, like, and you might, you guys might be a little too young to remember it, but I was like one of those kids where I like, even though when I was like, like a little, little kid, I watched like Dallas and Dynasty and think, and like, for (laughs) the record, growing up, I watched a lot of Gilligan's Island and the Munsters. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Matt Houston was a detective show. I think it started airing in 82. um, Mm -hmm. And then it, it was done by 85 and it starred this guy lee horsley who is basically like tom Selleck but country you know i was about to say i just googled it and my first thought of seeing a picture was whoa magnum pi so (laughs) lee horsley is very much like what if tom Selleck was from oklahoma (laughs) (laughs) that's a visual so he does look like it certainly yeah yeah and that's essentially sort of it's like and he's sort his the show is sort of like a reverse magnum pi where like He's the guy is rich. He's an oil baron from Texas, but in his ample free time, which he seems to have unlimited free time, despite running <laughs> a billion dollar oil conglomerate, uh, he solves crimes. <laughs> Literally, the first sentence here says, in his abundant free time. Oh, God. <laughs> so, funny how a billion uh, dollars yeah. makes that happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like and and I remember the show so clearly because like I remember I started watching the show because the guy reminded me of Tom Selleck like and I was a Magnum PI fan, mm. but then like when you watch it, it's totally different yet this like but very similar like he has a similar type of charm, but just like countrified instead of being oh. like instead of being from Detroit he's from so I have an instant question about this just because there there's a a genre of like crime kind of stuff that isn't cop things it's kind of detective-y but i uh, i think there's a proper term for this but i call them sherlock likes because sherlock yeah. Holmes, the original was kind of and and usually in a sherlock like you know things like the mentalist or psych or even lucifer you've got mm-hmm. a character who's outside of the police organization who has some special skill or attribute that makes them you know unique uh uniquely yeah. useful to like with Sherlock originally his intelligence with Lucifer because he's the devil stuff like that uh, I think in a show like this I, my thought went to MacGyver and his like crazy inventingness so other than yeah. being a rich oil tycoon does this guy fit into that kind of no I would say that his his power is being immensely wealthy and having <laughs> unlimited resources that's, that's <laughs> uh, I it's wouldn't like mind he... having that power yeah, because he has this sidekick, CJ, played by one of my favorite, like, 80s actresses, Pamela Hensley, who was on um, Buck Rogers, which is another show, like, <laughs> I almost picked Buck Rogers, but that's not, I didn't think it was obscure enough, because nobody's really forgotten Buck Rogers. If you're over, like, the age of 35, you kind of have a vague memory of Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers but, um, inspired, like, everything, so. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody, like, sort of side, even though, like, um, I like, there's a channel, I think it's Antenna TV that airs Buck Rogers now. And I DVR all the up 
would be fun. And there was a time when like Netflix first went to streaming that Buck Rogers was like one of their shows on there, but they don't have it anymore. It's gonna show up on some new random streaming service, and that's what they're that's gonna be their selling. We have all the episodes of Buck Rogers. Yeah, and Buck Rogers is only on for like three years, and every season is different. Like every season is completely different from the season before. Like they retooled the show every year, and it still (laughs) didn't work. It does look like uh, like Hensley was in a lot of things, but that those were her two prominent roles, Buck Rogers and Matt Houston, just basically. Yeah, and then she played this character, I want to say, I can't remember the name of the character, but she was on a very famous episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, I think it's either the first or second season, where she plays like this con woman who tricks this planet into thinking that she's the devil. I love that episode! Sorry, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. That one's yeah. wonderful. She pretends, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like one of her last roles because I think she got married and had a bunch of kids and like retired from acting. Huh. Hmm. But I good... love her and I love Lee Horsley. Anyway, so yeah, so tell us. So okay, so Matthews, oil tycoon, tons of money, yeah. decides to be a detective, kind of Batman essentially. It's just yeah, he's I'm essentially like he's what Bruce Wayne. He's not even Batman. He's just Bruce, Wayne, just Bruce Wayne. But he's solving crimes. Is there ever a reason like why he solves crime? He's just like you know, I got a billion dollars. I'm gonna do something productive. Well, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, because I, it's been a long time since I've watched this show, but I did refresh my memory a little bit with, like, fan, like uh, the wiki and Wikipedia and stuff like that and the fandom wiki, that basically, I think the pilot is, like, one of his friends is killed, and he solves the crime himself, like, using his, like, sidekick slash secretary, and then he just, like, ends up just, okay, now I'm a, now I'm a detective. Because... Well, what's funny is, according to the synopsis, it says, and I quote, most episodes typically involve one of his friends being murdered or involved in some criminal enterprise. <laughs> so, yeah. All righty then. So I'm basically, sure he just like, knows people. Yeah. And so he, he just, just knows people that get killed yeah. and he wants to take care of himself. <laughs> it's almost like Murder, She Wrote. Like, Murder, She Wrote is just like everybody <laughs> around her is dying. Like, Are we sure this chick is not the one murdering everybody? I, I like that theory. <laughs> that, make, that makes sense for me. Yeah. So it's very much like Murder, She Wrote meet Batman meets Magnum P.I. All right. So, yeah, these kind of shows, these uh, these Magnum P.I., MacGyver, you know, kind of things, they they seem to me to live and die on their 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 main person, their main character. Right. Yeah. So I imagine that Lee Horsley, man, seeing that name spelled out does not make it any easier to stomach. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's got to be pretty charming. Right, like I imagine that that's got to be like one of his things. He's a rich oil yeah. man. He's got to you got to like want to be around this guy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do want to be like he. Like I said, he has a very Tom Selleck type of charm. So it's like you know, and that's it's very infectious. Like you, like I would want to spend time with Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> the mustache helps. The mustache helps, and so and I actually think Lee Horsley is a little bit better looking than Tom Selleck, at least back in the eighties. So, so, so I'm I'm guessing that uh, with a show like this, and especially in the early '80s, this was entirely episodic. Like, I find it highly unlikely that a show like this would have a serialized. No, there was no through line on this show at all. (laughs) All right. Well, in that case, I'm just curious. What are like some of the episodes that really stand out to you in your memory? Um, I would say I really very much remember the pilot pretty well, just because like. I'm almost positive, like, because my mom worked nights, and I, like, would just sneak out and just watch TV at night when, because my dad was not, <laughs> was not a very good uh, watcher of children. <laughs> so, like, I was, and it was just, I think it came on, like, after one of the, like, nighttime soaps. 
I want to say. So it probably came on like after Dynasty or something like this. And I remember watching it and I was like, and it was just like the first episode was very, like it was just all of his riches were like on display. And I was like, this is fascinating. I have no idea what's happening, but I love it. And then, cause I was like, you know, I was probably six years old <laughs> when mm. that show premiered. So yeah, five or six years old. And then I just remember like certain aspects. Like I just really remember, I mostly remember like all of the characters on the show. So, and then there was another episode where um, that was uh, kind of like a Jaws ripoff episode. Oh no. (laughs) Where it was like this shark is attacking people and somehow, but like somebody uses the shark attacks to like commit a murder and make it look like it was a shark attack. And then that. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, when you're doing a like weekly detective story, you got to be creative with an asterisk. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to knock that. I mean, we've seen some of the shit that CSI pulled off, but I just, I don't know, shark to cover up the murders. That that feels like a stretch. 67. 67 yeah. 45 minute episodes is uh you you get you get a lot of weirdness in that you just start flipping <laughs> channels like all right what's on the tv tonight ah yeah we can write a story around that right yeah sure yeah so i remember that very clearly like because like that one i understood because i'd seen jaws and then i was like this is like jaws but it's not like jaws. I was like <laughs> I, and that was like when i really first started noticing like people just rip off stories and just do their own thing <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I'm trying to look for like where this thing's available. So far, I can only see like the I see the DVDs on Amazon, but I don't see it like listed anywhere oh, else. God. If this was available on streaming, I or or airing somewhere, I would be watching it constantly or DVRing it. It's gonna get remade. Like 2021, they're gonna announce a whole new slate. They're gonna replace all if the current. If they updated shows. Matt Houston, I would be so over the moon. <laughs> all right, so if you're, if you're listening to this and you have a uh, uh, desire. For a, a good old detective story with some oil baroniness from from the early eighties, Matt Houston. Yeah. I can't get over the oil baron thing. That's just ah, they're gonna yeah. make him a tech mogul or something more contemporary. I bet they would make him a tech mogul, like just like a Zuckerberg type, and maybe they'd give him like yeah, I don't know. Well, Elon maybe Musk they'd... is basically a television character, but come to life already. So. Yeah, Elon. Yeah, Musk Hank Scorpio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He's a Bond villain. He's not a. Yeah, <laughs> goofy motherfucker. <laughs> all right well <laughs> all right so we move on uh i will do i'll do one which is okay. a uh, a play that is actually my favorite play and i feel like almost became mainstream and then didn't which is i, well, I want to contest it. i'm not gonna say you can't but i feel like this is pretty well known but it could also just be the uh circles i run in well, that's the thing is like, and I've I've had to introduce this to so many people. And anyway, it's a play called Into the Woods by uh, Stephen Sondheim, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, now there was a movie a few years back, and that would, would I imagine <laughs> be what people know it from. But that movie was not great. <laughs> so you mean yeah. the musical? Well, it had James Gordon about... in it. <laughs> oh. well, Whereas the, the uh, I have I have the 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 Broadway cast with uh, Bernadette Peters in it like on dvd and whenever i like first become close friends with someone i'm like eventually you're gonna sit down and watch this thing with me even though it's like four hours long so yeah i've I just seen a bunch of children's that. productions of it they do it a lot in like for elementary schools really See, like, yeah never heard that. that's really cool yeah like my brother one of my brother's kids was in a production and one of my and my cousins one of her daughters was in it 
and like another friend like was in it. And these are like three separate states, like one in California, one in Tennessee, and one in Arizona. It's a popular <laughs> musical, I know that much, but it's kind of, it's really dirty. So yeah. you can imagine how they write around the dirty bits. Yeah, well, they do it for kids' uh, productions. I, I think, I'm sure they they changed the lyrics. I've never actually seen the original. I've literally only seen <laughs> kid kid production versions. Well, I have no <laughs> idea how the kids' production versions stack up, but uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that I'm one of those people that like Bird at Peters is one of my favorite yeah. Broadway people ever. So She's amazing. And and her role in the original Broadway is amazing. You know what's funny? The movie, right? I remember when that movie came out. I'm like, all right, they cast. Um, well, what? Right. Yes, not Chris Pine was the the the, was the prince. Yes, Cinderella's prince. But why can I remember the greatest Glenn actress Close? ever's name? No, no. The, oh. Let's see. Gonna, oh, we're talking old white ladies. They all run together in my mind. Yeah, but it's the <laughs> one who's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'll Google this later. So, but I'll I remember. Now. You know what? Yeah, fine. Oh wait, Meryl Meryl Streep. Oh, Meryl Streep. Thank you. Anyway, that's all I wanted. So. So Meryl Streep was fine. She was actually pretty good, uh, just not as good as Bernadette Peters. But I remember watching it, and like one of the things that really tripped me up was how young of an actor they chose for Jack, for for the Jack and the Beanstalk story. Mm-hmm. And then this and this is one of those reasons I bring it up because if you've only seen like kids kind of productions in the original Broadway, <laughs> you know Jack is depicted as more like kind of a simpleton, but he's he's you know like probably seventeen or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't, I don't think they say his age outright, but he's you know he's an older kind of kid. And what that the reason that matters is because his big song, Giants in the Sky, is like one of the easy high points of the whole thing. And it's done with this bombastic, like, man, that guy has skills kind of voices. And so then mm-hmm. the poor kid in the movie is just like trying to hit those notes, but he's he's got kid voice. So I just it was Yeah, so I'm hard looking at know. the cast. And that guy who they cast as Jack would have been like 15 when they made the movie. Yeah. <laughs> just, just too young. Anyway, for anyone who, because I am totally open to the idea that this is more popular than I'm giving it credit for, but the only reason I bring it up is because I continuously have to tell people about it, and it, it's just circles that I run in. So, but so for anyone who doesn't know, Into the Woods is basically a, a musical production. A combination of like all the classic fairy tale stories, or at least a lot of the most well-known ones, and like the original like Grimm Brothers Grimm kind of versions of them, not the Disney versions. Although some of that mm-hmm. is actually kind of mixed in as well. Like it's literally uh, Cinderella and Rapunzel and the Little Red Riding Hood and, and uh, Jack of the Beanstalk, as I mentioned before. Like all these stories are happening simultaneously in this one kingdom. And they all end up, like, converging. And the funny thing is, the movie actually handles the first act, because it's a two-act musical. The mm-hmm. first act, not bad. Like, there are problems, but it, it adapted it pretty well. The problem, the real problem is that the movie tried to shove the entire second act into the last, like, 25 minutes. And, mm-hmm. the second, and the second act is way more important than the first act. The first act is all set up and, like, going through the stories as you know them, you the audience, like, know them. Like, oh, so Cinderella's gonna do the thing where she goes and the glass slipper and like, all that happens. Literally all happens in the first act. By the end of the first act, you get to, quote-unquote, happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And, then the, and then the second act is completely all about how nonsense and BS the concept of happily ever after is as all of their happily ever afters crumble around them. Oh, my God. And so when I first saw this, they showed it to us um, in my drama class uh, when I was in, uh, I think, senior year of high school, which is when I first was introduced to it. And it was just so, like, shocking to see, 
that kind of thing. Like the idea that uh, Prince Charming, after getting married, basically immediately goes off to cheat on his wife with a different princess, like Snow White or something. Oh, Jesus. So. That sounds awesome. You know, if you like this, and if you like the tech, there's this, there's this book, um, there's these two books by this author named Jasper Ford, and they're called The Nursery Crime Mysteries. Ooh. And the first one is called The Big Over Easy, and it's about how um, Humpty Dumpty didn't fall from the wall. He was, <laughs> he was, mur- he was murdered. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for that. And yeah. Jack Spratt and his partner, Detective Mary Mary, solve oh, the crime. Yes. And it takes place in Reading, England, and they're really amazing books. They're also the, there's audible versions too that are the the two guys who read the the two different books um, are are really good. And then the second book. Is called the Fourth Bear, and it's about how Goldilocks didn't just run into the woods and disappear. She was murdered, and there was maybe a fourth bear in the house. Oh, so make that series, I want to watch that. I'd watch that. But yeah, yeah, that, that needs to be made into a movie or something or a TV show. Oh, so yeah, the first so the first book is called The Big Over Easy, and the second book is called The Fourth Bear. And <laughs> the author is is Jasper Ford with two Fs and an E. It's they're really good. Yeah, that does fit in really well, especially because uh, my <laughs> mind instantly went to, in, again, in the proper Broadway production, The Wolf. Oh, yeah, let's is, talk about that. Yeah, The Wolf, who was played by the same actor as main Prince Charming, which I always thought was actually really cool thematically because uh, yeah. The Wolf is you know disguised as grandmother, and the prince turns out to be a POS masquerading as a charming person. It's, anyway, oh, wow. but The Wolf is got this, like, like this 80s, kind of Michael Jackson bad kind of coat on and he's got a very very obvious phallus and he's like singing this song about this little girl that is so creepy and the point is that this I can show easily... is super horny that's why it was weird in <laughs> Disney like all the songs some of the songs are kind of like okay that's nuanced and then Little Red Riding Hood's one is about you know should I oh. have sex with this weirdo Oh, yeah, well, I'm looking at uh, like what the what the characters are like from the original Broadway play. Yeah, and it's like the wolf and Cinderella's prince are the same person. That's crazy. I love it. Yeah, but it, it makes a lot of sense from a thematic standpoint. I don't know if I, mm. that was intentional, but I bet it was. So, but uh, well, so the thing about Little Red Riding Hood's song that's great is because Little Red Riding you, you have a little backwards. Little Red Riding song comes after the events oh, of Little right. Red Riding Hood. She's singing about the nature of someone who enticed her into this thing that is pretty obviously actually talking about someone who enticed her into sex and how <laughs> oh my and, and how yeah. her the world has changed afterwards like we literally in another class we took just that song and broke it down and analyzed it in one of my advanced like english classes or something but it, so, it's it's not super obvious i would say like as obvious as the the wolf song which but that's again because of how the wolf that is one's presented. creepy he's a creeper Yes, he's definitely a creeper, but it's like obvious enough that I feel like a kid could listen to the Lloyd Wright a good song and just hear a song about Wolf's Dead while, while an adult can pick up on it pretty quickly. And that's so. why they made the Wolf's costume so obvious. That thing keeps tempo. <laughs> oh God, I'm looking at like all the different people who've been cast as the different characters. There's some like notable people in here besides just Bernadette Peters. Like. I will, I will say I don't know I don't remember the guy's name but the the act or the the singer playing the baker in the original Broadway production is mm-hmm. so good. I have no idea what else he's in but he's he's got great comedic timing. His voice is so excellent in that very like understandable way. He's got the song that was cut from the movie 
called No More that is one of the most like heartbreaking uh, pieces I've seen in a musical for me anyway. And that, that my, my big thing is like if, if he has if a great is, credit. What's his credit? <laughs> my favorite credit of his is that he is the voice of Howard in the movie Howard the Duck. Oh, oh yeah, no. <laughs> it totally is. I can hear that now. <laughs> oh, oh wow, that is awesome. Now I'm gonna track. Oh. I'm gonna track down the a video of this just so I can see and compare and contrast on that now. Besides, like Bernie, that Peter's being awesome. Yeah, no, her. She is literally the best part of that. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where it's like she is outclassing everyone, but that's not any of their fault. She's just so yeah. good. <laughs> so if you're if you have only, if you're listening to this and any of this sounds interesting, or if for some reason you've only seen the movie, then track down the the Bernadette Peters Broadway production. I know there she's not the like the it's defined by more than that. Just that's the easiest way for me to say what specific version because it's actually a couple different film Broadway yeah. versions. But that particular version, like, track that down and give it a, give it a watch. It's amazing. yeah, you want it? It should be a eighty-seven or eighty-six or eighty-seven. Yeah. Oh, also, as far as the the Chris Pine thing, I will say Chris Pine nailed the uh, the tone of that prince pretty well, actually. Of uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna call it smarmy dickishness. So. <laughs> Chris Pine plays smarmy pretty pretty well. Yeah. All right, Ulrich, you want to give us one of yours? Yeah, I'm going to talk about a movie that I, I love, but I kind of want to find the minority of, and uh, that's uh, the remake of Repo Men, which you I mean, didn't realize it was a remake until well, it's, I was doing research. There's a remake of Repo Man? Well, there's the one from the 80s, and there's yeah. one in 2010. I didn't know there was what? one. I know there's Repo the Genetic Opera, which shares a lot of crazy similarities. I only knew That's a one middle that... one. I only knew of the one from the 80s. I didn't know the one from the 80s existed until I was doing research for this. I'm like, wait a second, there was another one? Oh, okay, oh, cool. Uh, huh. yeah, I mean, that's kind of... <laughs> oh, yeah, so there's Repo Man the in 1984. Here it is. And there's Repo Men in mm-hmm. 2010. And then there's Repo the Genetic Opera, which is a separate thing entirely, but very similar. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that one all works in, but... This has, like, a great fucking this cast and I'm like i've never heard of this movie i love this movie so well, I, I remember it coming out and uh i didn't see it but that's only because like i am in the very specific well my circle of friends was all really into the genetic opera so all i heard was that comparison so i was not really interested in a serious version of that if that makes any sense but but it's not really it's very tongue-in-cheek but the whole premise is is it's you know kind of this semi it's a functioning dystopia i guess is the best way to describe this future where when your organ fails you get artificial ones and it's bought on credit at ridiculous rates with ridiculous payments and if you can't keep up on your payments they send repo men to collect it from you Uh -uh. and they, it's basically they roll up with surgical gear and cut it out of you. And if you die, oh, well, you should have, you know, made your payments. I will tell you real quick, just reading the synopsis of the 1984 film, I feel like all these movies have in common is like a title. <laughs> that could be. I want to look up the 84 one now because I'm curious. Uh, just, yes. just, all right, I'm just going to read this out. The plot concerns a young punk enthusiast who is recruited by a car repossession agency and gets caught up in the pursuit of a mysterious Chevrolet Malibu that might be connected to extraterrestrials. Oh, no, they're nothing alike then. Yeah, so uh, it just has a name similarity. (laughs) 
but yeah, yeah. so it's got uh, Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker, these two, you know, they're the best friends. They've been doing this. They just, they enjoy killing people. Forrest Whitaker a bit too much, maybe. Until uh, Jude Law's character has a horrible accident and he has to get a bunch of organs. And he finds that once he's been on the other side of it, he can't, uh, he can't repossess. He can't really, you know, do it anymore. He, he has a conscience about it. So now he's on the run being chased by his best friend. And it has one of the most brutal hallway scenes to date. Yeah, well, it looks like this movie lost $12 well, million. Dollars. Oh, yeah, well, I don't know. By the way, the hallway scene, I, I, I already, one thing I know about that is because everyone, everyone I watched who reviewed this was like, someone in this production likes old boy. So, <laughs> yeah. Because it's a lot of similar, but there's more weapon variety. It's not just a hammer. And no, I don't know. I I feel like I'm the only person that liked this movie because it wasn't well reviewed. It didn't make a lot of money, but it's this great tongue in cheek, and the gore is so over the top. And it's got a great cast. I mean, Forrest Whitaker's doing this great job of playing this, you know, your best friend, but also if he didn't have this job, he'd be murdering homeless people. Hey, Sean Leguizamo's mm-hmm. in this. Sorry, I just I always feel like uh, <laughs> it's, it's a Where's Waldo game with John Leguizamo. Like I don't know when he started appearing in everything. But... <laughs> Sorry, continue. And I mean, it's again, it's also this great kind of sci-fi satire because the whole premise is why is it that these life-saving organs, you know, make people cost people so much money and eventually end up dying and the organs getting recycled. And it's very heavy-handed satire, you know. Gee, why is it so expensive to get medical treatment? I remember a lot of people uh, put this movie psycho- or conceptually in with, like, in time and things yeah. like that, which I thought was a good comparison, this idea of, like, let's take a very simple... Well, I've always maintained that a lot of the best sci-fi is take a very simple scientific advancement idea and build a world around it in this case it's uh artificial you know organs so and i mean people are stupid sometimes you just really have to make blunt the message you're putting and in this case it's like uh hey guys the medical system in america is really fucked up and what if you know instead of just driving you into bankruptcy they came and killed you and took your organs i mean that's that's a, a truly extreme capitalistic view on on healthcare and and i mean get it. schreiber <laughs> is playing the boss and he's doing this great sleazy kind of corporate over like listen buddy i don't want to have to take your organ but you know these are the rules or there's a scene where it's like cars you like you know you could buy this organ but you know what it's going to fail in five years now if you bought this one and the guy's like oh but it costs so much it's like yeah but you can make the payments we've got the mortgage for your house right here and it's just so heavy-handed and i love it and i don't know if i'm up to watching this movie yeah, it's the ending. <laughs> the ending is really one of those ones that, you know, is kind of those like, oh, fuck. And it, it yeah. I don't know. I, I want more people to watch this because I need to know if I'm crazy for how much I love it or not. See, to me, your description sounds like this is the kind of movie that I'd want to have a few shots beforehand and kind of make fun of it with a friend as I watch. So, I don't know. This is a popcorn, blood and gore, you know. Slasher flick. It, it's hard. It's hard. It's almost a horror movie. It's a level of violence. Let me, put, let me put it this way: the last time I did that, as in shots of rum, make fun of the movie while watching it, was with Venom. Like, it doesn't need yeah. to be, you know. A, it's just if I could make fun of it, you know. You bet Nicole know. Brown is in this movie. Yeah, I saw that too. I'm like, wait, where are you in here? <laughs> I need to watch this. I'm gonna have to watch this again. No, uh, my my favorite scene, like when I want to sell the tone to people, it's like at one point, Forrest Whitaker is at a barbecue. And 
he does a repo with a butcher knife while, you know, in his uh, Kiss the Chef outfit. <laughs> and it's just like, that is the level, the tone of this movie. You know where this movie is currently available? Any, any of the streaming services? or I, It might be on Netflix. I own it because this is like one of the first movies I bought when I started putting my DVD collection together. It's like, I love this movie because I was so tired of hearing about, oh, it's just a ripoff of that repo, the genetic opera movie, which, eh. I so mean, it's based on fair, a book, though, right? Maybe. Is it? Uh, I don't see anything about a book in Oh, based on a novel, The Repossession Mambo by Eric Garcia. I'm getting a nice reading list put together tonight. Which doesn't <laughs> even have a wiki list. Why doesn't the Repossession Mambo have a wiki link? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, again, that's timing. Like, when did when did Repo the Genetic Opera come out? Uh, let's see. Everyone started talking about it in the late aughts, and they didn't shut up about it till the mid-2010s. Uh, it came out 2008. So it would have been two years earlier. So because it's so close, like I, I feel like that comparison becomes very easy when things are that close together and that similar. Because for anyone who doesn't know, Repo the Genetic Opera is an opera with almost the exact same premise. Except yeah, the premises are organs, very... They're or... just actual organs. <laughs> yeah, no, there is an eerie similarity. But I don't know. I just, I mean, this is a fun, dumb popcorn flick. And again, if the message is a bit heavy-handed, just look what we're going through right now and how blunt you have to be with people sometimes. Yeah, Jude Law is always one of those actors that I, I don't know what the term for this is, but I've always liked him in things. Like, he's I feel a like good he's, actor. He doesn't phone it in. Yeah, yeah, but I also feel like he never he never stands out really heavily to me. Like he just is a very good at doing his job. If that makes any sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he, yeah, he usually he doesn't stand out, but he's like he's always good. He never yeah. is just like I'm just here for the paycheck. Yeah, like you get that with a lot of actors, especially for movies like this. He feels yeah. like a professional. That's the word I was looking for. Like, like I mean, I know that most actors are quote unquote professional, but he feels like that word when I imagine the tone of that word, like he's a professional actor. So, yeah, and he, yeah, he's kind of he carries the movie. I mean, this isn't a big cast. It's not really a big. I, most of the budget's on the effects, and he just has to play a guy that you know was a serial killer that develops a conscience and now has to go on a run from his psychotic best friend. Even in my. <laughs> Even in my most hated movie of recent memory, Crimes of Grindelwald, he was fine. What they yeah. did with him was stupid, but he was fine. <laughs> so, See, I blocked hey, that movie yeah. out. I even forgot he was in that. I, yeah. I have so much rage that uh, I can't block it out. It's just... It's <laughs> like, even, like, people forget that he was in Captain Marvel. Yep. I thought he was good in Captain Marvel. But yeah, it doesn't look like Repo Men is available anywhere unless you can rent it, though, on Amazon Prime. Go ahead and rent it. It's a fun time. If you like horror movies and if you like action movies, if you like them popcorn mm -hmm. flicks. Well, anyway, that uh, that brings us back to you, Clee. What's your next one? Yeah. All right. So my next one, also a detective show from the 80s. This one barely lasted one season. I don't even think it made it a full season. But it is a show called Manimal. I've heard of this. Manimal? Manimal. Like I man. don't know why I know of this, but I know of this. Because, well, because it has a crazy premise. Yeah. And then the opening credits and the and one of the main like effects of the show is available to watch on YouTube and it's hilarious. But I also watched this show at the time when it was on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just read the synopsis and uh... yeah. <laughs> Why it's ridiculous. It so <laughs> I think I think the idea that this is coming out in 1983 is really what is making me laugh. Yeah, and if and like when this when we're done here, go do yourself a favor, go to YouTube and and put it in and watch 
the uh, the changeover sequence because it is about, and it's also, it, when I reread like the synopsis, because I remember the show completely, but when I reread the synopsis, I was like, oh my God, this dude is a full-on colonizer because he is, <laughs> because he got like his abilities from having traveled to Africa and then Tibet and like talking to these like witch, you know, savage uh, witch doctors. So I was like, <laughs> so, and it's, so it's basically, it's about this British doctor, probably PhD doctor, not doctor, doctor, um, Jonathan Chase, who can transform himself into any animal. Although in the show, he literally only ever really transforms into like a hawk and I think a panther if I remember correctly. So but he was a hawk and a black panther nearly every episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, animals are expensive. They keep uh, budget down. Yeah. They had a hawk and a panther guy, and then they just were like, we're not hiring a bunch of animal trainers for this. We're just going <laughs> to stick with hawk and panther. So, and he, like, works with, like, this LAPD, detect- like, female detective, and they solve crimes. But the dude who plays Jonathan Chase is the guy from Jaws 3D, I think. He's this pretty, like... British actor. He's very suave. He could have very easily been like a blonde James Bond back in the day if they had been open to that. Um. Oh, by the way, no matter how good this show is, it was scheduled opposite Dallas. It was yeah. not <laughs> So it's an amazing show. And I really wish somebody would because now you could probably do the effects and the animals pretty easily and cheaply. Yeah. Um, so I, I really want this show to come back and, um, I've actually written a treatment for this show before. So for a reboot, so. this is the <laughs> longest transition. I'm watching the transition. It is so long. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I was laughing. So I was like, nowadays, I feel like you could actually make the show and it would probably be pretty popular. That's a, a very yeah. basic, simple, like there is an actual superhero who does that with like beast boy and stuff. But yeah. in the eighties to try to do that, I, yeah. Oh, it looks so bad. Sorry for the color commentary, it's but so, yeah, it's oh no! It because they like... do that like effect of like just layering shots over each other, <laughs> so it looks so silly. It's so funny. So, so I, I got. Can you give us a taste of your treatment? Because I'm really curious what you would have done with it. Uh, I also I um wanted to like basically I my idea for how he got his powers was like that he actually scientifically like acquired them like he would have uh done like an ex- run experiments on like almost like a Bruce Banner type of a thing like he <laughs> did it to himself okay. rather than going to the darkest parts of deepest Africa and getting it. <laughs> yeah that's just there's, there's so the much wrong with that yeah, talking, you know, he didn't he didn't sip the harp shaped herb and get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Chase, you can't come into Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> so Paulo's of the Black Panther. Like, no. <laughs> so um, but it had like Oh my now like, sorry. It's even worse that he turned into a Black Panther in every episode specifically. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. No one understood uh, tone back then. <laughs> yeah, that was so, a different time. And it had William Conrad, like, as the narrator. Like, he would always narrate the opening of the show. And I don't know if you guys, like, know William Conrad. But he has a very famous voice. He yeah, also... Rocky uh, <laughs> um, Oh, yeah, I guess he did Rock, Rocky and Paul Weaker. But he was also <laughs> on that TV show, um, Jake and the Fat Man, which was also a great show from the 80s and early 90s. Um, 
Oh, but sorry, I'm just, he, I'm just reading his. He, you know, he created the role of Marshall Dillon for for Gunsmoke, but he on on the radio originally. Sorry, that's awesome. <laughs> sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. William Conrad, he has a great voice. Like, um, you know, Pinky and the Brain. Um, the Brain, like his voice, that voice that they do for him is based on William Conrad's voice. Well, I thought that was based on Orson Welles. Well, uh, it's like they're very similar. Hmm. I, I believe that. Yeah. So it's like, um, but it was a great show, but it only had, it only aired for like, I want to say maybe three, four months. Yeah. So, so Manimal, so probably had, uh, yeah. Manimal was a great eight, eight episodes and he was popular enough, apparent, well, not popular enough, but he was liked enough by his creator to be in a crossover with a show called Nightman. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that's what, that's what the wiki says. He was in an episode of Nightman titled Animal or Manimal. Sorry. You. I love and it. it and it says, and I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of the sentence, Manimal's traditional practical effects transformation was abandoned in favor of a CGI sequence. Oh, no. Ooh, in the 80s? Uh, no, this is 1998, so a little bit oh, farther, wow. but right in that, like, that era. No, when... I gotta find that, then. What was the name of the show? <laughs> uh, the show's Nightman? called Nightman. Yeah, just Nightman. <laughs> Ooh, Jesus. But yeah, but this is Nightman a allies with, Yeah, Nightman allies with Dr. Jonathan Chase, a man who knows how to transform different animals. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but this is a Glenn A. Larson created and produced a show who has, you know, he produced a crap ton of television in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it looks like he produced Nightman as well, which is why, you know, I guess yeah. you have that. This is what, 15 years later? He's like, no, that character, Manimal, got to bring him back. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I don't blame him because Manimal was amazing. And I think it's a crime that it only aired for like half a season. Yeah, so... Uh, I think we started my this brother early... and I like being fascinated by like the transformation. That's like that's what sucked us in. I, I believe that. Definitely <laughs> stop you on the channel flipping your flipping through like wait, what, is this new Cronenberg? Oh no no no, this is not. This is what is this? Yeah. Did we establish this... that this isn't streaming anywhere right now? You have to like find this on DVD or something. Yeah, I don't even think they've got like a DVD release or anything. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Find it in the garage. Oh, wait, no, so. it was it was released <laughs> in the UK in 2012 on DVD. <laughs> Sensible. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, like, and it's also in France. Like, so if you live in France or England, you you might be able to get your hands on it. Okay, <laughs> that's not even in my head. You taught me something, Clee. <laughs> uh, I want to move on <laughs> to uh, my, my next one, which I don't think is arguable. But oddly enough, even though this one is very, I think, obscure, it's also probably the most influential to obscure, like, ratio thing I've ever talked about in God For Not Forgotten. I've actually wanted to talk about it a few times before, but I never got around to it. And it's called uh, the Lensman series. This is a, mm. a book a book series written by E.E. E. Doc Smith in, I want to say, the 30s. And it is, in a lot of ways, very foundational to kind of the entire sci-fi genre as we know it today. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that, like, like, everyone knows, for instance, that, um, oh, I can't remember what that series called with the man who goes to Mars. John Carter. John Carter, thank you. Everyone knows, like, the John Carter. Well, this is, like, the same kind of level as that, where it was, like, really big and really influenced a lot of things. But for some reason, like, no one ever seems to bring up Lensman. The only, the only reference Lensman I know of is that uh, Green Lantern references it quite a bit, actually. What's <laughs> so, the author's name? E. Doc Smith. So the, the premise, yeah, two E's. E dot oh, e, e. Oh, E. E. Smith. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the premise is 
man, how do I even explain Lensman? It's it's very crazy. And you can start and when I start explaining this, I think you'll see like the flavors of other things in this. So the first book to come out was actually, if I remember correctly, the third book in the series, which is called Galactic Patrol. And the idea is long, long time ago, before like humans existed, there was this planet called uh, Arisia, which is anyone who reads Green Lantern would recognize that term. Uh, that the beings on Arisia evolved past the need of their physical bodies, essentially. Like, they evolved such crazy mental abilities that they just explored the universe through their mind. And there was another planet called uh, Edor that had a very similar thing going on, but whereas Arisia was all like, you know, we were working together to get this, Edor was like, we're going to war at each other until the best thing comes out on top. And But they also had, like, you know, very good psychic powers, but not as good as the Arisians. And the Arisians realized they, like, encountered them by accident, and they were powerful at that point. They're like, okay, we're not going to be able to take these guys out on our own, so instead we're going to seed planets of life to try to build the ultimate weapon. You don't actually find out what the ultimate weapon is until, like, book six or something like that, but then you cut to, you know, human times, and uh, sometime in the future, I remember how far in the future, they um, there's a... a patrol force or a, pol- a space police force called the lensmen and lensmen uh first of all they're like there are very few of them you have to go through like crazy training to even get chosen as lensmen and once you finally do get like chosen essentially you have to go to Arisia. what have we here well mm-hmm. i don't know what no. do we have here <laughs> oh sorry that was my uh text message alert <laughs> <laughs> no worries anyway sorry this long explanation so anyway, you go you go to Arisia and an Arisian presents itself to you although in whatever some form they just send an actual prediction essentially and because they're actually just like brains essentially but um and they present you with a lens which is like a physical manifestation of your your mind and your willpower and it's a focusing tool so that they can do all sorts of crazy things but the most important thing is that a lens allows them to communicate with anything uh, that can think essentially so like the kind of aliens that are depicted in in this series are not like your Star Trek aliens where they just look like, oh, you painted a little thing on them. One of the kind of aliens is called a Rigelian and it's literally described as looking like an oil can with like six tentacles on the side and a fishbowl head with like three black holes in it. Like it seems weird. It's highly, <laughs> highly not human. But anyway, the first Rigelian you come across is also a Lensman. So, you know, it's like the Lensman can all work together even though they're extremely different creatures. So Lensmen are mostly through the series fighting essentially space pirates. Now, the space pirates are actually kind of like subsect of the Edor planet, even though they don't realize that they're being like puppet controlled. But yeah, this is just a, a space opera about one particular Lensman um, going on, at least in the first book, Galactic Patrol, uh, taking out a space pirate base and as the books go, the, the the scope gets grander and crazier to the point where in, like, the fifth book, they're attaching uh, momentum generators to planets so they can just throw planets at other planets. So, okay. Yeah. But when you read it, you start seeing things like, for instance, Jedi. I'm not saying George Lucas pulled from the Lensmen, but Jedi are really, really similar in a lot of ways to the Lensmen as they're depicted in this book series. So, oh, well. um, so it looks like Ron Howard tried to make this into a movie in 2008. Yeah, didn't go anywhere. I was really hoping for it too. They actually <laughs> made it. They made an anime of it that is not good, but is a mm-hmm. fun attempt. <laughs> yeah, Japanese anime, yeah. and then there was a Japanese animated television series. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's one of those things that's just been like, I, I put it in the same kind of, uh, it, it's a space opera, but it's also a really hard sci-fi in that, at least after the first few books, because like the first book is pulpy as hell. It's just, hey, watch this space policeman take down these space pirates. And it's kind of like a fun pulp book for that. So, <laughs> I'm but sorry, it, that sentence is just so ridiculous. I know, but it's mm-hmm. wonderful. And like I said, if, if you take anything from this, just read Galactic Patrol, just that book. The rest of it gets uh, like a lot crazier and a lot more in depth, but that book is like fun, you know? <laughs> so, and uh, oh, I will say the and quote unquote spoiler, but the, the ultimate weapon thing that the Arisians were doing is that throughout mm-hmm. the entirety of human history, they maintained two bloodlines. So there's literally these two families that they were just carefully breeding. So we got a weird eugenics thing going on here, which is creepy. But the idea, <laughs> the idea is that by the end of it, they finally combine the two bloodlines with the main lensman and his wife, and their children come out as basically superhumans who have like crazy I can bend reality psychic powers by the time they're like six. So this has the John Carter problem. I don't know how you don't get get this made and convince people it's not ripping off everybody else. Yeah, but it's from the 50s, so clearly he was first. So that doesn't matter. It's derived from it. So, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if he got, has a similar issue to the John John Carter thing. But again, it's just it's it's very influential and that it's very fun. And I have no idea where you could find it nowadays. Then the books that I got were like belong to my grandparents. I've never seen them in libraries <laughs> it's or anything. In the so. public domain. There are, mm-hmm. but it's old enough to be in the public domain because I tried to read the first book and I found it dry as hell. So I had to give up, but it is in the oh, public domain. Is, book, there's another book tri- from the 40s called Triplanetary that's technically the first one. Yeah, see, that's the first one chronologically. Galactic Patrol is the first one that you should read, which is the third one chronologically. But I might have read the first uh, one and since the third one, but I just read, I, know, I know they're in the public domain, so they are available in audiobooks and things like that if you're looking yeah. for them. Yeah, or I can't guarantee that it will work any better, but uh, like I said, he got a lot drier as the book series went on because it got a lot more deep into like the science and stuff. But if you can, find Galactic Patrol specifically, that one, the, the pulpiest one, and tell me if you enjoyed that one at least. <laughs> All right. Let's see if it's available on Kindle. No, there's no Kindle version. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, but anyway, if any of that sounded at all interesting to you, especially if you're a sci-fi <laughs> fan or a space opera fan, I, you owe it to yourself to at least give it a shot. Yeah, I like sci-fi. I haven't really been reading a lot of it lately. Oh, but the very the triplanetary is available on Kindle. Yeah, but I wouldn't recommend starting with that. It's it's like yeah, you go back to triplanetary after you're already invested in Galactic Patrol. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that that's my uh, that's my second one. So that brings us back to Ulrich. All right. I will end us with uh, another movie I'm not sure if anyone really likes. Charlie Bartlett. I don't even, I've never even heard of this. That kind of makes me sad. I'm not surprised. Like, this was one of those movies that came out at the exact right time, the exact right age. It's got another another great cast. It's got this is Anton Yelchin, which I don't know if the kid ever did a bad movie. Uh, Odd Thomas. But anyway, continue. He wasn't bad in Odd Thomas. No, he was fine. But I loved that book, and that movie made me really pissed off. Sorry, continue. But yeah, it's got uh, Anton Yelchin, Robert Downey Jr., Kat Dennings, Hope Davis. And basically, the premise is that the main character, you know, uh, Charlie Bartlett, is getting, you know, he's going to a public school for the first time. He's a rich kid. His dad's in, well, his dad's out of the picture for reasons that he kind of dances around. And he wants to, you know, he wants to be popular. And 
because oh, this I is... remember this movie. Okay. Yeah, and it's again kind of a broad satire in its own way because he acts out so and his mom doesn't know what to do so she takes him to therapy and the therapist's answer is drugs that's the solution for everything huh. and in his attempt you know to help his schoolmates like he tries counseling like he's like okay well I'm, i want to help people how can i help people and of course much it's like drugs are the answer so he starts you know dealing all sorts of pharmaceutical grade drugs to help people and after you know that doesn't go well at all. He actually tries the more reasonable solution of talking to them. <laughs> Sorry, sidebar. I just read uh, public school run by an embittered alcoholic principal played by Robert Downey Jr. So, oh, Robert Downey Jr.'s acting his ass off in this. Like, this is before Iron Man. This is, he's still on the outs, Robert Downey Jr. Well, so this movie came out in 2007, so this is like right before Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've got this parallel story of, you know, Charlie Bartlett, he's helping people he's socializing he's you know doing all this stuff and then robert downey jr is just this he he was at high school he taught history and he was very happy but then you know he had to take the job and he hates his job and his daughter doesn't like him and he's just kind of miserable the entire movie and it's this weird thing like the longer the movie goes on the better charlie becomes but the more miserable you know robert downey jr character becomes and it's this weird parallel because it bounces back and forth between the two of them and again Robert Downey Jr. is acting his ass off because this is, like, no risk for him. Like, no one will hire him. He's cancer in Hollywood, so he just does this weird little one-off indie movie where he plays what would typically be the curmudgeonly, you know, principal. But it's more just, listen, I have to do my job. I don't like my job, but guess what? I have to do this. So here we go. And I, I just really, again... Perfect time. I was like, right. I was in high school, maybe going out of high school, and I saw this movie. It's all about, you know, the troubles of high school and the idea that, you know, there's something wrong with you. Then you just need to take drugs or repress it. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> again, really heavy handed, but sometimes that's what you need to get the message across. Huh. I do remember this movie coming out. And I kind of remember being intrigued by it and then just never getting around to it. I think that was kind of the case. Like, this is in that. <laughs> This is, you know, it came out that same time when there was like this weird rush of mid to low budget teen yeah. d- comedy dramas. Because yeah. you know, you Adventureland, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Uh, what was the other ones? It's like a whole bunch that Superbad was all in that same, like all aiming at the disaffected youth of the late 2000s. Yeah, I think like Juno came around, this came out the yep. same year. And I think that maybe is why it didn't do as well. And no one's heard of this because it just kind of got buried in that whole. Yeah, but I yeah, love it, it definitely because, got like buried by Juno being the bigger of those, or the, probably the biggest of those movies. But I think what I really like about this is the whole movie's central point is there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. Yeah, like that is the whole movie's central point. Is the whole story arc with you know Robert Downey Jr. is like he's miserable and he thinks he just has to be that way. But the whole movie's like, no, you don't. That is not healthy. That is not how adults should function. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's why this movie stuck with me so well. That I just love how it just it goes right for the thing and says drugs are not the answer, like right out yeah. of the gate. As someone who uh, my high school was filled with people on drugs, <laughs> <laughs> and I hung out with people who were especially on drugs. I didn't partake, but they were the least drama-y people. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, you guys are chill. But anyway, point is, I, I can I can relate. I can understand. <laughs> Yeah, my, I mean, my high school was not filled with people like that. Uh, mostly pot smokers were the people. Like, if there was, if they were on any drugs, it was weed for the most yeah. part. Like, there's, there weren't that many 
But I mean, yeah. I went to high school in the 90s where it wasn't too much of that. The pharmaceutical like, boom hadn't started yet. Yeah, where there weren't kids like who were just on Ritalin for no, like just before the shits and giggles. Yeah. Like, hmm. So what's this uh, currently on? Did you say already? Uh, this is on Amazon Prime, which is what made me think that I watched it again recently. See, I still really like this movie. Like, oh, I'm going to put this in shuffle for the next time we do a Gone But Not Forgotten because I do honestly feel like it's got a great message. It's got a great cast. And it just got buried with every other you know, yeah. disaffected teen comedy. It's got Anton Yelkin. Yeah, I mean. Make me a little sad. <laughs> it does. Like, I was watching this going, God damn. It seems like Robin Williams were never going to get past how good you were or how bad it is you're gone. Mm-hmm. Especially the way he died is just fucking tragic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, was about, I was about to say, I feel like the um, I don't know how, how much you intended, but uh, I can't imagine a better compliment than comparing him positively to Robin Williams. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, there's a handful of actors like we have now, or you know, we've lost that you look back and going, no! You were one of those rare exceptions that just, you were so good and you were so passionate and you were too good for this world. He probably would have had an interesting career, I think. Oh, yeah, no, I got He's part of it. Like, him and Robert Downey Jr. are just acting their asses off in this movie. Yeah. Well, and, we're, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, it's my last little thing. I do, I think it is 100% intentional that they made Robert Downey Jr.'s character a struggling alcoholic. Uh-huh. Mm. Oh, of course. Like, that definitely, because that plays into later in his role. Like, he's struggling with the alcoholism, and it's like, okay, you... You took a risk on Robert Downey Jr. You're like, hey, you've had trouble with substance abuse. What if you played a character that had troubles with substance abuse? Uh, I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm one of those people that says that uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s comeback wasn't actually Iron Man, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So, you know. But no one <laughs> saw I, Kiss Kiss I Bang Bang. I completely agree with you on that. I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think, is what made certain people take a chance on him, especially for doing Iron Man as like and knowing, seeing that he could probably pull off action yeah. fairly well. That. So, oh, sorry. I was going to say. So we're we're kind of approaching our our zenith here. But I, I remember, Clee, you said you had uh, three. So if you want to, uh, you want to hold off on that one, or do you want to tell us real quick? Or I'll tell you, you real quick to? because I don't think this is. It's forgotten just because it's a, it's also another very old show. But it was on for a long time, and it's in infinite reruns, like somewhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So and that's the Rockford Files with. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. With James Garner, who was like one of my favorite actors of all time. So, so charming. I love James Garner. Um, <laughs> that's one of those shows I, I never saw, it. but yeah, that's one of those shows I never saw. But I was very aware of like just the titles. You heard it everywhere. So. Yeah, and I think that's another show. I think that would be very, very good for a reboot. Like, I don't so like, real- to, like I don't like to reboot everything, but there are some things I think that are okay to reboot. I think The Rockford Files. Out of the three shows I pit, I talked about. I think actually the Rockford Files would be the most appropriate reboot. All right, so it's so it's another yeah, it's another PI show. So what yeah. what makes the Rockford Files special as a PI show? Well, it's because he sort of like he's an ex-convict. Um, he uh, I think originally, and but they sort of like as the show goes on, they sort of gloss over this at first. But that he was a police officer who was framed uh, and then went to jail, and then he comes out and decides to become a private detective. Um, he does. He tries not to ever. He he owns a gun, but he never really carries it with him, um, and he doesn't like using it. And he always pretends he doesn't have it. Um, mm. Whenever anybody asks him about it, he's like, "What gun? What are you talking about?" And then um, and he lives on in a in a uh, in a van or like actually a trailer on the beach in Malibu. 
Sorry, so you said it lives in a van. My brain instantly went down by the river. <laughs> so, anyway. uh, more like a trailer. <laughs> it was on a trailer in the beach, a rusty trailer on the beach in Malibu. Um, and like, and he, he's just, but he's very pragmatic. Like, and he always, like, so he, he'll work for just about anybody um, if they can pay his rate, which at the time was $200 a day plus expenses, which I think sounds very high for the 70s. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, because I'd work for two hundred dollars a day plus expenses now. So I was gonna say, well, plus expenses <laughs> is a uh, pretty pretty yeah. open ended. <laughs> but he's like very pragmatic in his approach to solving crimes and figuring out who's on the up and up and and you know and he'll like if he if he thinks his client is actually like the villain, then he'll turn them over to the police. And he's got like and his dad helps him out sometimes, but his dad is like this like super blue collar truck driver dude who's just like I don't know Rocky like and his best friend is this con man he met in jail named Angel who is a, like the actor who played him in the original show Stuart Margolin is amazing because he's so sleazy it's like there's like <laughs> grease he's like grease coming off of his skin he's so sleazy does this show is Rocky Files available anywhere right now um, I think, well, I think it also, um, airs sometimes on, like, one of those, like, MeTV, Antenna TV stations, yeah. um, and really it was on Netflix exists. for a while, but I think they just took it off, but I bet it'll come back in, like, a year or so. But they mm-hmm. just took it off, like, maybe six months ago. It looks like they've tried to do remakes a couple times, including a feature adaptation in 2012 with Vince Vaughn associated as the star. Yeah. Actually, Vince Vaughn wouldn't have been at that. Vince Vaughn of 2012 wouldn't have okay, been a terrible yeah. choice. I'm Vince Vaughn now would be a little gross. Yeah. But Vince Vaughn of like 2010, 2012, not a terrible choice. Um, but it does sort of it does sort of need somebody with like who's like physically kind of big because he's also like an ex football player. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio. But, <laughs> no. 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 Vincent D'Onofrio is a too old and b too oh, like yeah. not. Yeah. No. Not you got like, you got to look at pictures of this guy and you'll and you'll see what she's talking about i feel like it's way more obvious if you just see him and so. he's also another one who's like sort of like a charming roguish type like so he's you got somebody that. who can sort of play like a charming like rogue who's like has like a sense of humor because he also like um fakes his identity a lot like he has a bunch of business cards that say that he's a different people and he's a bit of like a fast talker so like he'll He'll like bombard you with information so that you don't know what he just said, and you're just like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess I'm sure. Yeah. And then he's in, he's in where he shouldn't be. I would say just based on looks, like he's he has kind of a Bradley Cooper vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of that too. Yeah, if you were to do a movie version, Bradley Cooper would be good. Yeah, you need that square jaw. Yeah, like you need somebody like who can just like talk their way into and out of anything. All right. Well, uh, just in the, the interest of, I don't know, time's not the right word, but uh, we've given all our suggestions. And at this point, Clee, mm-hmm. we, we give you the, the, the soapbox, at which point you can plug anything you want to plug. Um, I'm not, you know, we're in the middle of the epoch, so I'm not doing much these days. But I am on Movie Trivia Schmodown. I think my, actually, that, that text message was I might be having a match coming up. So, you know, look for me on Twitter at Clee Wiggins. Uh, screen name Grand Moff that bit for <laughs> any updates on that. But the movie trivia showdown, which I love doing. I've only had one match so far, which you could find on their YouTube channel. 
um, against the Barbarian, <laughs> which I lost. But to be fair, that dude was had a perfect game, and I missed only three questions. So mm. I feel like it Not was bad. a win. That's pretty close, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I said just follow me on Twitter uh, for, like, my uh, – mostly my responses or tweets about Ed. <laughs> and, and follow me on Instagram if you want to see all the food I've been cooking in the apocalypse. All right, I'll make myself hungry. <laughs> yeah, so just at Clee Wiggins um, on Twitter and at Clee Wiggins SF on Instagram. All right, well, then uh, at this point, we're going to do a little thing our, our suggestions of the week, which tend to be more modern uh, things, but just anything you're into currently that you want to share with people. Like in my case, I've been. You know, I'm stuck in my apartment all the time, and I've been working on, like, my, my miniatures and putting models together. So I just put something on in the background and just to, like, you know, feel like I'm not alone here. And I've been uh, I've been putting on Kim's Convenience, which is a pretty good Netflix show about a Korean family that runs a Canadian convenience store. I can't it's, believe it took you this long to find it. I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But it's pretty funny, and it's, like, four seasons, and it's on Netflix. And, yeah, that's my suggestion. <laughs> Short, sweet, to the point. All right, Clee, um, go ahead. All right, I've actually been doing something very similar, but uh, switch out miniatures for jigsaw puzzles. I bought like 15 jigsaw puzzles at the beginning of the apocalypse, and I have completed about six. The one I'm working on right now is super hard. It's a Lord of the Rings themed one, but it's a painting like Ooh. based on based on the books, not any of the. Oh movies. no! Oh wow! So. It's and everything is like brown and it's trying to be insane. <laughs> <laughs> so brown I've been piece, working on this, this one for brown 10 piece. days. Yeah, and it's like a thousand pieces, this one. And I've been working on it for like ten days and I'm like not even close to halfway done. And I'm I'm starting to get really irritated by it. But mm. in the and what I've been watching in the background, as far as Netflix goes actually specifically, is this show called The Big Flower Fight. Which is a flat, ah, which is a competition show for flowers, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's, and you basically not- have to like they make the contestants build like these giant constructions that are only made from plants and flowers, and every week is a different theme. So they have to do like an insect one week. They have to make one that's actually wearable fashion one week. Sorry, um, I see this picture. They made a T Rex skull. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Like, and there's one, like, this, the one episode, I'm only on episode four right now, um, but they have to make edible thrones, so you have to be able to sit on it and eat it. Mm. (laughs) Usually I don't want to do both those things for anything. (laughs) For any one thing. (laughs) So so this one is made of, like, it's all fruits and vegetables and, or uh, um, edible flowers. It's really interesting. Oh. No, I saw that and it reminded me of a Great British Bre- uh, Great British Bake Off. I'm like, just ah, looking at pictures of this yeah. reminds me of Great British Bake Off. And yeah. it's like the show is done in England, but the the teams are from all over the world. So even though it's like so it's like and even the and like the hosts are both British, but the expert this is this like is American and it's like this fabulous um, gay black dude who's just like and the flowers and like and they have a different <laughs> guest expert every week, but he's like. He's like he's one. He's like a fabulous gay, and like, huh. and then the teams. But he's some very of the teams photogenic. From, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, some of the teams are from America. Some of the teams are from England. I think there's one team that's from Australia. One team that's from Germany. 
and I forget what it was like, but like the teams are from all over the world. Hmm. And there's a father son duo that are adorable. There's this one team, they're like both like into steampunk, and so they both dress like full on steampunk every episode. <laughs> Oh, I see them. Yeah, it's a picture yeah, it's of them. Like, it's like, like, it's taking you guys two hours just to get ready to, to work for 14 hours on these flowers. Gotta it's, admire it's, that commitment. Yeah. Dedicated. Yeah. <laughs> so, and like, and not everybody is a flower expert. Like, some of the people are landscape um, experts. Some people are just like botanists, but have never actually used flowers as like decoration. It's like, and like, so like, the backgrounds of everybody is interesting too. Hmm. That's on. Let's check that out now. All right, Ulrich, what do you got for us? Uh, well, I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but I, I am a big fan of competitive strongman. Like, that's one of the sports I actually enjoy watching. One of the competitors that I've gotten behind the last few years is Eddie the Beast Hall, who, world's strongest man, England's strongest man, current holder of the deadlift. Don't bring that Thor mm-hmm. Hathor, you know, Bjornsson. Technically, no, no, not telling it right now. Not official. Anyways, yeah. And it's kind of funny to watch all these big strongmen realize that they also need a social media presence. <laughs> okay. Because, well, they eat like $1,000 worth of food a day mm-hmm. easily. And they have to find other ways to make money. So they, they started YouTube channels. And if you are into, you know, competitive strongmen, you're like, Eddie Halls is hilarious because his YouTube content output is one part, you know, him like, hey, and I work out, here's me lifting a truck. And one part, here's me running an obstacle course in a Speedo and getting stuck in a tunnel. Oh, God. All I was right. going to say, I thought it would be also be like a mukbang channel where you just watch him eat stuff. I was say, no, I he hasn't done that yet. I don't really know what you were uh, bringing up Half Thor for specifically, but this guy looks like a Viking, too. So <laughs> there is What's a- his name? Eddie Hall? Eddie Hall, yes. The reason I bring up Half Thor is there is kind of, they are set to have a boxing match whenever this ends, and it will be That's the world's heaviest boxing match ever. A little bit of an odd choice, just because strongmen and boxing are very different. Those they've, are very different things. They've got a long-standing oh quote-unquote feud. Oh Jesus, he's gigantic. I don't. He's like, like that. yeah. <laughs> But he is hilarious and good-natured. So like I said, I, if you were looking for a strong man to follow or get behind, one, he's really good-natured. He's, you know, really friendly. And as much if you have, you get both things. You get the, you know, his workout routines, and you get him doing dumb and ridiculous stuff. Or him talking oh. about what he has to eat in a day. Or how much his love, or, you know, joking about his love of cheesecake, which I didn't realize how much strong men love cheesecake until I started, you know, fall, watching it's their... A, it's uh, probably an easy way to put on calories. Yeah, well, str- strong men especially need to, they need to have a lot of ca- caloric intake. So, well, they're well, all becoming body conscious now, too. In, like, Google Images, where it shows, like, what he used to look like before he decided to become a strong man. I prefer old Eddie. <laughs> Even though he's wearing this ridiculous bikini bottom, like bikini I, I see the exact picture you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I guess that if you're looking to you know follow someone for competitive strongman, I cannot recommend him enough because again, he's very good natured. He's very funny. Use uh, content on YouTube is both you know serious and hilarious. I mean, just watch any of the stuff he does with Brian Shaw, who is like five time world strongest man. Another guy I follow, and is like two four hundred pound children. Huh. All it's right. Like two big ass kids. Oh my god. 
It's exactly what it is. And they steal each other's food, and they fight, and you just feel sorry for their wives. (laughs) Wowzers. I'll say, anytime I see a picture of a strong man and their wife, which are usually, like, half their size, I just get confused. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) Like I said, just look up his deadlift record. It's, like, over a thousand pounds. All right. Well, anyway, so at this point, I'd like to thank you again, Clee, for coming on and chatting with us. Oh, my pleasure. It was super fun. And then, Ulrich, if you want to take us into our outro. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things, because that is how we grow and continue to be able to make you know, this podcast and give you something to listen to as the world burns down around us. Slowest apocalypse ever. <laughs> and whatever method... Whatever it is that you're listening to us on, that's awesome. Thank you very much. I, We are currently on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. I don't know why that was harder to say this time. But if there is some platform that you would prefer us to be on for any reason, tell us what it is. We'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ork. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.